Welcome to this workshop, Communicating an Anabaptist Worldview. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible, and uh, may our view of you and ourselves and of our surroundings uh, be shaped by the Word of God and by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and help us to communicate a biblical Anabaptist view so that uh, people can be directed to Jesus and to heaven itself. Bless us through this discussion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pretty well every day a suicide bomber kills himself and others saying God is great in Arabic. Mothers teach boys that the ideal is to become a suicide bomber or killer because that is so right and noble. And suicide bombers are idolized. How is it then that we say how terrible and tragic and misled and sinful and mystifying it is to kill others in a suicide bombing attempt. How is it that some people have this idea that same-sex marriage is wrong and abhorrent and sinful, and other people have the idea that uh, to deny same-sex marriage to people is immoral and wrong, because it's a right and a human right and it's to be celebrated? How is it that some Mennonite Old Order Amish keep traditions and would feel guilty if they departed from how Grandpa did it and would feel they would be ineligible for heaven? While other people say salvation comes from a relationship to Jesus and following his way, and how Grandpa did it may or may not be right. Well, the differences can be accounted for by, by because of their difference in worldview. Um, let's look at a definition now. What is a worldview? A worldview is the framework. from which we view reality and make sense of the life and the world. I'm going to rattle on for a while and then uh, we'll see what you have to say about some of these things. Or we might say it's the lens through which we view everything, life and God and his expectations for us and our surroundings. I view things through these lenses here. Here's a more uh, detailed uh, definition. A worldview is the framework from which we view reality and make sense of life in the world. It's any ideology, philosophy, theology, movement, or religion that provides an overarching approach to understanding God, the world, and man's relations to God and the world. That's David Nobel in uh, the book called Understanding the Times. For example, a two-year-old believes he's the center of the world. 
A secular humanist believes that the material world is all that exists. And a Buddhist believes that he can be liberated from suffering by self-purification. Someone with a biblical worldview believes his primary reason for existence is, say it, yeah, to love, to serve God, to honor God. Do you think that everybody has a worldview of some sort? It's a combination of all that you believe to be true and what you believe becomes the driving force behind every emotion or decision or action. If we change our view of God or our responsibility to him, we'd have a very different different philosophy of life and morality. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 1 where we see this shift. Romans chapter 1. Do I worship God revealed by nature and revelation? Or do I invent my own God and establish what is right for me? Well, the Holy Spirit through the pen of Paul says in verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So there's the view of God, his eternal power. And uh, we want to glorify him. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. So verse 3 there, their uh, view of of God. And the view of themselves in verse 3, 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And their view of the world, verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. So, there is uh, differences of worldview. Now, as far as suicide bombing, that introduced that idea at the beginning of this class, it makes perfect sense if your God is Allah, and Muslim leaders are your mentors. And if you believe that heaven is achieved by dying for the Islamic cause, and that the highest good is to promote Islam. Now, in contrast, we have Anabaptist heroes, also martyrs, who didn't fight, who didn't kill, who allowed themselves to be put to death, whose worldview was shaped by the Bible, not by the Quran whose uh, mentors are Jesus and his followers, and whose mothers say, die rather than fight back or recant. Who was the man whose mother stood on the banks of the Lamont River in Zurich, Switzerland, and said, be faithful, be faithful, as he was about to be put to death for his faith? Felix Mons. His mother was there on the bank, shouting encouragement. Secular humanists have uh, their worldview also. No God except for ourselves. 
Man determines what's right or wrong, or the Supreme Court does, or community values does. And so this is how we determine if somebody is human or not. Whether they should stay alive in the womb, or if they're deformed, or if they're um, on the road that I seem to be on, that of senility. Um, communists, um, they say the state is God. Through class struggle, they can reach utopia. Survival of the fittest, based on evolutionary theory. No compassion for the weak. Non-productive people are a liability, so do away with them. Then there's the Hindu worldview. Animals are of equal value to people. Um, don't help the poor beggar because he's just getting what he deserves from the previous life. Karma could be good or bad. And so uh, the worldview affects whether we help people or not, if we eat meat or not, because it might be your grandma that's residing in that animal. Then there are animists, those that think that everything around, everything in nature is God, and that sort of has some resemblance to environmentalists as well. Preservation of every species is the highest good. Or the hedonists who thinks that the only point in living is to have fun and get pleasure. Are there other worldviews that you'd like to mention besides those that I have already indicated here? Anything you think of? I've hit some of the main ones. There's an Orthodox Jewish worldview. Okay. Mm -hmm. What's one feature of the Orthodox Jewish view? Just the waiting for the Messiah. Mm -hmm. So their life is shaped by that hope and expectation. Mm -hmm. Did you mention atheistic? No. Expand on that a little bit. How does that affect one's life or well, one's relationships? If you're an atheist, anyone? There's no accountability. You're accountable to nothing because nothing is God. There's sort of the ex-Mennonite anti-establishment worldview. Hey, we're getting a little close home here. <laughs> it's just defined by what I am not and not by what I am. Uh-huh. Interesting. Well, if we think about a dramatic change of worldview, you can think of the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, and how there was a dramatic change of his worldview, a major, major shift, a paradigm shift there. But thinking about an Anabaptist worldview now, uh, part C on our little outline there. What would you say are some elements of uh, Anabaptist worldview? What, uh, what in your mind are, is a component of an Anabaptist worldview? Belief in the triune God. All right. 
triune God. The absolute authority of God's word to be believed and obeyed. Okay. God's word is authentic, authoritative. Bible. Sermon on the as central. All right, as part of uh, God's word, an emphasis, or, uh, well, or you can say the teachings of Jesus. Everybody's Bible has the Sermon on the Mount, so what's that different about the Anabaptists? We believe that fruit bearing and works is very important in, 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 our, in our beliefs. Can't get to heaven without bearing fruit. Well, okay. I don't know how to say this. The thief on the cross? And the rich young ruler. It's different. But, but bearing fruit is a part of serving God. Faith and works. Yeah. All right. Faith that works. Yeah. Faith that, there you go. Okay, we'll say faith that works. That sort of summarizes it. There you go. Okay, you're doing well. The uh, ordinances, including uh, headship. So that is something that sets us apart as we mingle with society as, uh, as, as families. Okay. Nailing? Non-existence. Mm-hmm. Alright. Semi-literal view of the Bible. I didn't say literal. <laughs> Not quite, but semi-literal. I thought you were going to say of the millennial. You're on a money trail here. So, a literal. Uh, say that again. How is that different how, than God's word? I, it's probably very, very similar. Nobody says it. But most uh, people would say the same thing God's word authority. Yes. But then they take it differently. Okay. Which happens among We may have some blind spots ourselves, yeah. But someone like Chuck Swindle, um, example, probably. Evangelical writer. Um, One main difference is on the Sermon on the Mount, whether we believe it is for this life or for some future life. Yeah. And some of them, like Swindle, saying, well, this isn't really. For now, you know, <laughs> sort of thing. Uh, uh, or uh, uh, where's Big? Um, what's his first name? Anyhow, the prominent writer. Um, yeah, Warren. He says. Uh, now, some people would say this verse that means that you could lose your salvation, but we know that a Christian cannot lose his salvation, despite what this person says. The Bible says. Yeah, but it also says. Uh, uh, you know, eternal. Oh, well, it doesn't say you're eternal secure, but you know, no man can pluck them out of my hand, and so on. So, yeah. So, uh, uh, shall we say, sort of a literal or almost literal uh, observing of, of, the, of the commands. Conditional okay. security. Unconditional. I said conditional. Conditional. <laughs> 
Definitely sets, I mean, sets Anabaptists apart, despite what Mount Simon's view was. But, um, you know, the, as I understand reports about statistics uh, in the evangelical world, uh, generally speaking, the rate of divorce is very similar to non church people. Brotherhood. Ah. What, how does brotherhood affect one's life? How does that aspect of Anabaptist world view affect how we live? Accountability. And so that's a, it's not just the cozy feeling that we have of, mm-hmm. you know, family relationship uh, as brothers and sisters in the Lord but uh, accountability so that uh, the big thing with the Anabaptists was not that you know about baptism or that sort of thing you know all Anabaptists but rather that there were all kinds of people living in the church and there was nothing done about it Good. Furthermore, is that Dortrecht confession of faith? I guess that discipline, accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess this might be another way of saying discipleship, mm. following Christ daily in life. Okay. Maybe you'll want to comment on any of those or add some others. Uh, different people will, um, I mean, it's good to start with the triune God, grace, uh, God's word. Um, some looking at this would say, I think you're missing out on an emphasis on Christ. Perhaps. As Savior and Lord. Um, not so much God's word, the focus of uh, Anabaptist thought, although that was part of it, but on Christ himself. But how do you separate God's word and, and Christ? So. Uh, here's a question for you to think about, <coughs> probably briefly. Is there a difference between a biblical worldview and an Anabaptist worldview? Yes, no, maybe. Qualifiers? Certainly can be. You hope not. <laughs> okay. De- depending on all of what aspect of Anabaptism we're, we're referring to. If we, if we take the whole gamut of Anabaptist background people, mm-hmm. from liberal Mennonites to very traditional ones or... Uh, cultural, Anabaptist, that sort of thing. Well, our uh, primary concern here this morning is uh, communicating and transmitting 
the Anabaptist worldview. So how are we doing in communicating an Anabaptist worldview? I heard years ago that had all the Anabaptists that came to Pennsylvania and all that sort of thing, uh, where my forefathers came from and they went to Canada, if they all were remained faithful in all their generations, we'd be the largest denomination in America. <coughs> I sort of doubt that, because there's a lot of Catholics and Lutherans that came and so on, but when I said pretty big family, although the Lutherans did too. But I um, have here a little book called Amber Alert by a friend of mine, Jerry Hoover, which you might or might not be familiar with. And this is maybe 10 years old or so. don't have a date. But um, he uh, writes, A member of a Beachy Amish church in the heart of one of our major Mennonite communities conducted a survey of the local churches in his constituency to discover the retention rate of their youth to conservative Anabaptist faith. Conservative Anabaptist faith defined as those who still practice nonconformity in dress and holiness in life. He discovered that retention rate from 1980 to 1990 was 55% for ministers' children and 45% for laity. So an average of half <coughs> embraced an Anabaptist worldview. An assessment was made of the conservative Mennonite churches of the same community in the 1958 to 78 era, revealing that of over 300 youth that were born then, the retention rate stood for 28% for laity and 30% for the ministry, with a total of 84 out of 300 youth staying in a conservative Anabaptist church. So I'm saying, how are we doing? The survey re revealed some ministers retained most of their children, while others had a retention rate of zero. Why is that? goes on to say we should have an amber alert about this. So, we're ready for your question. Tomorrow, is it you that I'm going to ask? Yeah, I wonder how we can communicate the Anabaptist worldview with using a factory trick. Ooh, that's getting pretty pointed. <laughs> Yes, my first point is here, choose your curriculum. Choose it with some thought and care. had a friend say that in a conservative Anabaptist church back in Ontario, uh, this would have been a home, no, there's no home school situation, it's a school situation. And um, the youth said, I don't get this about, about uh, non-resistance. Why, why wouldn't you fight in a war if it's a, if it's a good war? I mean, a necessary war. And he directly related it to the use of the Abeka history curriculum. So. How important is curriculum? Any comments? Curriculum, I would say, is important, but more important is the teacher. 
So it's secondary to the teacher. Interesting. <laughs> right now. No. <laughs> so you're saying that a good teacher with an Anabaptist worldview can counteract or oh, sure. the students that where things are not lining up with Jesus' teaching. Mm -hmm. And if you're Canadian like I am, then you can teach about the um, you know the American rebellion rather than the revolutionary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talk yeah, about uh, good George III and uh, what Romans 13 has to say on the matter and all these yeah. sorts of things. <laughs> I think it is. I think it's a very good question, though. I think um, you, those little people are listening and they're thinking and they're soaking this stuff up, and what you feed them stays in their minds. And um, and when you're old enough to sort of make these distinctions in your own mind, I think that then we we read these kind of histories, we read these kind of books as as older people. But I think children reading them automatically believe them, and you can't as a teacher fix all the problems. That's my personal opinion. I think it's I think it's a very valid thought, very valid question. And I remember years ago being in a, a CLA workshop where we were all talking about devotions and different things, and and one man said that you know you need to try to get your child's your children's attention, and he said you know there are a lot of interesting stories in the Old Testament. You know, uh, boys love swordplay. <coughs> You make this point that you there are some really interesting stories about all of you know interesting violent things that happened in the Old Testament. Like this is a good thing. And my point is that sure I I would certainly relate with the fact that Rebecca may have some <coughs> issues. And I taught in Canada as well, it was way easier to teach some things that is in America. But I would say as well that it is just like so many histories are somewhat biased. Um, that the people they talk to on the street, which they should talk to people on the street eventually, will have powerful opinions on this. And just like the Bible has so much stuff that we don't quite understand. You go to Leviticus and some of that, that's just horrible. Um, it's every bit as bad as the Indian purging in the West in some ways. So to me, if they have questions about Rebecca history, they're also going to have real questions about Leviticus. And you know what? There aren't easy answers out there. And that's where I think what David is saying about the teacher, that you promote Christ, that you read the Sermon on the Mount a lot 
that you begin to <coughs> teach that the response of Jesus is an inborn, uh, it's, a, it's a character that you nurture in your life. Anybody will respond with violence if given, if, not, if it's not trained out of them. If you have a choice, will you use the Protestant textbook or an Anabaptist textbook? That's, um, and up until this point, maybe we haven't had the best history textbook. Um, my, my own personal opinion here or experience is we, we use a bit of the back material in science inventing grammar, but nothing in uh, really in uh, English, uh, literature, or history. So that's where we come out as a, as a school. Secondly, choose your teachers and uh, their beliefs, their lifestyle, their interests. Teachers are mighty important. Anyone like to emphasize anything on that point or raise a question? Thirdly, then, choose your role models and heroes. So I brought a book here called A Mirror. And so we might point our youth to a 14-year-old who was imprisoned for a year. It's page 434 of Martyr's Mirror. And so he was condemned to death. And as they were about ready to kill him and some others with him, there was a um, account, a, a nobleman who wrote up and said, uh, my dear child, desist from this error and I will give you a, a prebend, a, a certain amount of money for life and always keep you with me. The youth replied, Should I love my life and therefore forsake my God and thus seek to escape the cross? This I must certainly not do. Thy wealth can be of no help to either of us, but I expect a better in heaven. And he went on to give a, a testimony. On uh, page 500 and 501 in this book, we have a picture of these two young ladies. I picture them as about 15 years of age, but I don't know exactly how old they were. And they were mocked and they had some straw um, wreaths put on their head as, and uh, so they were making fun of them as they went along. And uh, then they said, you know what? God's going to replace these straw crowns with heavenly crowns in just a few moments. And, uh, the the uh, illustrator here, he has uh, some valence on the on the heads too. So you can point out things like that. So Martyr's Mirror is one thing. Uh, you can point to role models in, in this book. I spend about a month in this book um, and uh, have a, an outline of uh, what we do here on this paper. Uh, we study about the importance of Martyr's Mirror. We read a bunch of passages. They do some projects making a list of the martyrs. They write an account as a children's story, sort of like those in Drummer's Wife and in the Whale's Belly. 
we often have a debate whether it's easier to be a Christian in times of peace or in times of persecution, and then they didn't do extra reading for it. I made a mistake one year. I said, uh, any student who uh, reads the entire book gets an automatic 100%. I had three girls that year that did it by February, and then they slacked off in their work. That's the only time that I've given over 100% on their report card. They got 103% or something like that. So, um, but heroes like uh, Menno Simons, uh, uh, about God, how God protected him in the canal, and uh, uh, how he witnessed to the priest and um, how he was non-resistant to those at Wismer and uh, I don't know about the cha- the uh, chariot, the uh, stagecoach story. You know what I'm talking about there? Um, uh, but um, I, I like to tell stories about, well, a friend of mine, acquaintance of mine. We visited back and forth in my youth, John Troyer, martyr. Um, Stories like Preacher Peter in Coals of Fire. It's a good book for children to have and for you to read. Uh, where the men remove the thatch from the roof and they prepared a meal for them, um, these mean men, and then they invited them to come in and eat during the night. And they were ashamed of themselves and they went back out again and put the thatch back on. Those are stories that powerfully impacted me. Or a uh, story of Ernie Swan which is in the literature book, uh, Perspectives of Life, I think it is. Uh, From reading Coals of Fire, he was sort of one of my heroes, and he visited my home when I was about 12, and I was so shy that I didn't go on top of him. I regretted that ever since, but he was a non-resistant Christian in World War I. Um, Last year, I uh, came up with this notion of... uh, uh, a great reading challenge. I'll pass it around if any of you are interested in it. But uh, what it consists of is uh, about uh, 90 books or so <coughs> on Anabaptist uh, history. And we have all of these in our church, li- our school library, I think, We're building up a collection. And what they had to do was uh, read all the books that are starred as a compulsory reading. And if they read enough books, they would uh, get a reward. So I totaled this up, and it comes to about 64 books they had to read on uh, uh, the influences on ba- Anabaptism, the Bible smugglers, doing escapes by night, about Anabaptist leaders, about martyrs, about um, non-resistance in faith, some of which would be in America here, Mennonites on the move, so immigration during World War II and so on, Mennonites in America, uh, Mennonite missionaries, um, under his wings, and so on. So I had um, four out of 13 that read these 64 books that they had to read last year. And so we went to, couldn't find a place of Anabaptist uh, interest, but we went to uh, something historical anyway, Greenfield Village in Detroit, which has a lot of old buildings, and, and uh, spent the day there. So, um, anything that you have tried in uh, promoting an Anabaptist worldview that you'd like to mention? 
Okay, I'll go on with uh, teaching Anabaptist history. Um, I mentioned that I spend about a month every other year in Martyr's Mirror. And then for the rest of the year, I have uh, four components. One is the Swiss Anabaptists. These are books put out by Eastern Pennsylvania. My church, and then the Russian Mennonites. I have about six families of Russian Mennonite background. And then about the American Mennonites, which is not quite as inspirational as the, because of all the, the Mennonite disease or whatever it's called, the divisions. And uh, so for some of these books, I make up what I call outline sheets, in which they have a basic outline and they have to fill, um, write down what they think is most important uh, about uh, Felix Mons and about George Blaurock and so on. And uh, others, the last two books are much more where I basically make their notes for them and they have to read and fill in the blanks and this becomes the basis of discussion. So this is all about Russian Mennonite history, the paint book here. So that's uh, something that uh, I've developed. The fifth place, be a role model yourself. So very important. So, um, things like music. Students probably are going to find out what your music tastes are like. They will observe your clothing, whether it's the right labels or not, whether you respect authority. What your driving is like, you know, your tailgate, speed, weave from lane to lane. Your driving change if you see a police car following you. You know, the last part of the body to experience sanctification is the right foot. <laughs> now then. <laughs> On the reverse side, there are things that work against communicating an Anabaptist view. I'm wondering if you have some ideas or opinions here. Things that we, just just open it up to anything that you think is important or is not important or things that militate against communicating an Anabaptist worldview. Anything that you'd like to point out or discuss? Time is yours here. Five minutes or so. So if we uh, teach, uh, we believe the Sermon on the Mount, uh, literal observance, uh, brotherhood. Where does extravagant living come in? If that, if our lifestyle doesn't mesh with the the, the way. We're not here to idolize Anabaptist forefathers, but our spiritual forefathers. But does it does it mesh with the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus? So that has a severe. It, it causes a a conflict in the mind. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wait. Not want to interrupt you. No, no. A place that I think. Connection today is the fact that 
while we look at the, the historical figures, we live today. Mm -hmm. So there are issues even today that are of extreme importance. And I know some of them got mentioned yesterday in history class, like, um, well, there's a pretty strong feeling in the United States about entitlement, actually. Um, we get unhappy with the illegal immigrants coming and stealing our benefits. And, um, and just having lived through September 11th, there's a, an outrage toward most Muslims. And um, well, I think that's a very important part of the future to look at those and you put those issues in the eye along with your students and honestly evaluate your own uh, <clears throat> arrogant and entitled part. We were immigrants. Yeah, I think it's terribly important. And if you have opportunities to have your students interact with some Muslims, mm -hmm. um, my home congregation in Ontario sponsored two, three now, two, two Muslim families a few years ago. We've become good friends of them. And, uh, so interaction with that and, and some stories about those experiences. Mm -hmm. What else helps or detracts from communicating an Anabaptist worldview? Staying out of the voting booth, but then really being political and conversation can detract somewhat. Yes. You're saying it's not okay to follow current events in American politics? Depends how close you're following. Yeah. I'm curious to raise your own hand, but raise everybody else's hand. Yeah. Yeah. Politics. Yeah. 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 You refuse to raise your own hand, but everybody else's arm. I sure hope my neighbors vote right. Yeah. Right. You would. I think also with that politics thing, you can show them how the Anabaptist worldview of staying out of politics is actually like how Christians a lot of times can contradict themselves whenever they get involved with it. Mm -hmm. And so you can show them the problems that arise with that. Mm -hmm. I think the very simple thing of being supportive of the community that you're in. I think so often we, deep down inside, we think maybe it's a little stupid. And then the children know it too. If you think it's stupid, then you probably shouldn't be teaching his children. I'm wondering too how well we communicate some of the reasons we don't even, we're not involved. <coughs> we, we just don't. Well, then, just especially with younger students or maybe high school students, that just does not cut it. Mm -hmm. You need to know some clear reasons. One thing that I think is essential is that we give them a good. Um, a very strong uh, idea of the or, or whatever. Tell them that they do have an obligation to fill for their country. Mm -hmm. um, but it is it's totally different. <laughs> and then they can see the sense of it. Well, of course we're not going to vote. It doesn't do a whole lot of good. We can do something over here that does far more for fixing the world. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of answers a lot of the questions about why we don't join the politics world. You know, you could be a lawyer and maybe, you know, whatever. But there's things that are more effective than we can. Take the positive approach rather than just being anti. Mm -hmm. 
things. Mm -hmm. Good. You know, I've been thinking a lot about just some of this non-resistant things. I had a, it's, it's rather lengthy, I'm not going to go into it, but it happened to me three years ago. Uh, and I was tested pretty hard in more than one way. And, and uh, it had to do with some pigs. And I met a, the most ungodly man I have ever heard with my ears, his language, his, he even murdered a, a black boy. And I didn't know this, he had, he had, uh, he carries a loaded gun in his pocket and he has a shotgun in his truck. But anyway, I, after everything was said and done later on in life, months, I was telling people, community people about this, I wasn't ashamed. And they were like, one of the guys that worked for me, he was a, he was, he's not a Christian. He was wanting me to let, uh, give me the address. I'll take my shotgun and I'll go get your pigs and I'll, and I said, no. I said, you would get me more in trouble by doing that. I said, I, I don't want nothing to do with that. And communicating with other community people. It's like, why don't you call 911 and, you know, and all this and all that. But, you know, that's, we, we practice what we believe. We, they're, they're watching you. These people are like, huh, why won't why would you do this or that or get even with them or just, but that's where the true colors come out. And in, and in hearing this, passing it on to your children, they're like, you know, what? You didn't get any money out of these things? And, and you know, you, you explain to your children that this is what is talking about. We, uh, so the teachers might not have personal experience, but they, may, they might know about people like yourself that have taken a loss. But then, on the other hand, a year later, God, yeah, I wish I could tell the whole story, but God reimbursed me all them pigs that I lost. If you're a Muslim, the devil It's always nice to have a happy ending to these stories. <laughs> Ultimately, there will be a happy ending. But, uh, anyway, thank you very much for your uh, contribution here. May we be effective in communicating the truth to uh, those who are responsible for it. That's it. If you want to stick around and hash things over a little more, that's your privilege. <laughs>